Well, we, uh, we began chapter 10 last week by, by stating that, that throughout this chapter, specifically chapter 10, we're, we're going to see this contrast, this contrast between things that God values uh, laid against the things that the world values. So last week we saw the, the value that God places on, on marriage. Uh, marriage is God's idea. Uh, is his idea from the beginning of creation. It was instituted all the way back in creation when God brought Adam and Eve together. And so we saw last week that, that from Jesus' own words, marriage is to be held in high regard and is to be guarded because marriage is this reflection of, of the gospel. So the way in which a husband loves his wife uh, and the way in which a, a wife honors her husband should resemble both the love that Christ has for the church and the way in which the church submits to and honors and follows Christ. Uh, unfortunately, the, the world does not value marriage as highly and, and, and treat it with the honor and the, and the sacredness that God has placed upon it, which should be then really no surprise to us when we think about that. If marriage is truly a reflection, as Scripture explains, of a reflection of the gospel, meaning that it's displaying to the world as husbands and wives, as they live together, if it's displaying to the world the love that Jesus has for the church, then of course that's going to then come under attack from the enemy of God. It's the same reason why the prevailing debate raging amidst our culture today on gender ideology and gender identity and the fluidity of gender, though that should disturb us and righteously anger us, it still shouldn't surprise us. Because again, if human beings, as we see in Genesis chapter 1, if human beings are made in the image of God and they're made as male and they're made as female, as, as that Genesis 1 would, would, would assert, then of course, then that's going to then come under attack. Nothing has changed within the human heart over the past 2,000 years since Jesus has walked this earth. The topics may have changed, the debate may have changed, but the human heart still desires the same thing. We desire control, we desire power, we desire autonomy. We do not want to submit to a creator. We want to determine our own lives. We want to chart our own course, determine our own destiny. We want to have complete power and control over our lives. And truly, if we're honest, we really want to have power and control over the lives of others. We value the things that we see benefit us, so we are selfish by nature. However, I, and I think this is caused by maybe even God's common grace upon us all, we, we still do recognize whether you're a believer or not a believer, we still recognize without regenerated hearts that, that selfishness is destructive. So we, we recognize, even apart from the regenerating work of, of, of grace in our lives, that, that a culture is not going to thrive and flourish where selfishness reigns. And so if we, if we truly want to discover then life as it was intended to be, then we have to die to ourselves and we have to recognize that there is no good within us Right? And, and that in order to really find freedom, then we need to submit to the reign and the rule of God. And I know that statement sounds contradictory. I just said that we want to find freedom. In order to find true freedom, we find it through submission. But that's true. Because it's only when we submit to God's reign and his rule over us as the creator, as the God of the universe, as the sustainer of life, only then do we find what we're actually truly created for. So we need to value what God values. Our lives need to be shaped by his reign, his rule, his word over us. Jesus began, we said this last week, Jesus began his public ministry by calling people to repentance. 
The time is fulfilled, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he says, repent. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what he is saying, as he begins his public ministry, he's saying, come and find life and find joy eternal under the reign of God in his kingdom. And you find it through repentance and faith. He says, in my life, in my death, in my resurrection, you want to find life, you've got to die to yourself. If you want to find freedom, submit to the good reign and rule of Christ. Turn from your sin, Jesus says. Repent. Stop following and valuing the things of this world and instead find salvation for your souls in Christ alone. Receive Christ. Receive then the kingdom, as he talks about in Mark 1.15. Receive the kingdom, as we'll see then from our text today. We receive the kingdom like a child, with childlike dependence. This is what God values. God's salvation of, of sinful rebels is undeniably unfathomable and, and far-reaching. I mean, we're going to be singing and we're going to be worshiping God for all of eternity for his salvation, because of his salvation of sinful rebels. I believe we're going to be mining and, and exploring the depths of God's grace forever and ever. But at the same time, it's remarkably simple. And it's received and accepted, as Jesus says, it's received and accepted like a child. Last week we saw the elevation of, of marriage by Jesus. So what the world seems to, when the world seems to, to treat marriage poorly and, and not in high regard, Jesus holds it up high and he shows how, how it, is, it resembles the glorious gospel. This week we're seeing Jesus elevating little children. Those often seen as the least of these to show Here's who enters the kingdom of God. Here's who belongs to my reign and my rule. Here's who is truly a follower of mine. It's one who receives me, receives the kingdom like a child. And I think the problem that many of us are going to face with this is that, that receiving like, like the, the kingdom like a child, um, as Jesus puts it in Mark 10, it, it almost just sounds too simplistic. Like that sounds too easy. Sure, surely we think in our in our, 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 our minds and our hearts, our elevated thoughts of who we are and what we bring to the table, surely there must be more to it. Surely there must be more that I must do. Surely it's got to be more complicated than that. I mean, it almost can sound to the human heart insulting to our intelligence and our prominence and our prestige and our ability, right? Like our thoughts can come into our minds of, like, you know who I am, right? You know the skills and the gifts that I bring to the table. Don't, don't you know how smart I am and what I've accomplished in my life? Look at the, the degrees I've had and the promotions I've received. Look at, look at who I am and what I've accumulated. And yet you're telling me I have to simply have childlike faith? See, in our flesh, that can be hard for us to stomach, which is why we continually then try to add to the gospel. We do it all the time. We, we think our works, our religious performance, our acts of service, whatever it may be, somehow begin to contribute to God's acceptance of us. Like, why are we so often so determined to add something to the gospel? We hear it all the time. I hear it all the time as I sit down with people. It's like, like I, I, I'm a believer, but because I did this, like there's, it's like we're so, it's ingrained within us that we want to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to add something. And I think it just goes back to what I said at the beginning this morning. Human beings want control. We want to contribute something so that we now have a say. 
so that we can have some form of ownership, some form of control. But Jesus is just flipping the script here, and he's saying, no, you can't bring anything to the table. In fact, it's really Jesus saying, you've done enough already. Like, I've come to clean up your mess, right? Receive the kingdom like a child. But then what's that mean? What's that mean to receive the kingdom like a child? That's what we're going to explore today. In verse 13, we see, we see parents. Here's the picture. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus, right? Verse 13, they, they were bringing their children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Now, typical of Jesus's day, it's been another long one in, in the life and ministry of Jesus. It was a day filled with teaching. It was a day filled with ministering to, to hurting people, crowds uh, packing in all around him. Uh, we saw last week conflict again, once again with the Pharisees. And, and now, uh, picture this. We have this picture in verse 13. You have these parents now uh, begin to line up outside this house with kids of all ages. In fact, Luke's account of this, this moment says that even infants were being brought to him so that Jesus would, would bless them. So the, the blessing or the laying of hands on someone was a classic Jewish custom that dated really all the way back to uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, as he laid his hands on Joseph's two boys, Ephraim and, and Manasseh. So, so, so it's been a long day already in Jesus' life. Jesus is back in a house, as we saw at the end of the text last week. He's back in the house with his disciples, and he's teaching them further in what he had just uh, unpacked about marriage and divorce, and he's, he's explaining these things to them and, and, and to others that are now around him and listening to him. And, and again, all the, this line of families begins to, to gather outside. So there's children running around everywhere. Now, now let me ask you, so after a after a long, stressful day at work, where you are mentally and physically and emotionally drained, right? We've all been there. Is being in a room filled with kids of all ages, right? We're laughing already. Is that the most calming environment, right? For you to, I just need to be refreshed and renewed. Put me in a, put me in a room with like 20 toddlers, uh, of course not. We're laughing because we know that's not where we're renewed and refreshed. Even for people that just like love and adore kids need like, I need some space, right? Like, like kids are loud and babies cry and toddlers, toddlers are, are into everything, right? Kids are immature and they always have snot coming out of their noses, right? They're needy and dependent, right? They, they, you can't ever really truly relax when you're around children. You got to watch them. You got to keep your eye on them. You've got to care for them. Like you're just kind of on edge every time you're around kids. So, so it says that the disciples here in verse 13, they, they came to these families and they, they rebuked these families and they're being, beginning to send them away. Now, why did they do that? Well, I think it's actually pretty simple. I think the disciples were trying to protect Jesus' time. So he's under a lot of pressure. He's, he's faced conflict just about everywhere he goes, either from demon-possessed individuals or the religious establishment that was constantly trying to find ways to destroy him. Like Jesus, anytime you read of, of Jesus' ministry, there's always crowds around him. That he has to find times to, to escape the crowds, to, to have his soul refreshed. But he always has crowds around him, gathering around him, pressing in, crushing in around him. People, people are always around him asking for things that they need. Most likely, uh, they're completely unaware of how draining ministry life is. And so the disciples, they, they see this. They've been with Jesus. They're noticing these, these things. Like, this is sometimes too much. And so they see a bunch of snot-nosed kids running outside, and, and they, they make a bunch of noise, and babies are crying. And I think they're like, they, we got to go to them and say, no, he doesn't have time for this. Like, you've got to go away. 
You don't have time for it. You see all the people he's already ministering to. You see the day he's already had. You've got to go away. Pick up your stroller and move along, please. I mean, Mark even uses the phrase that the, that the disciples rebuked them. So it's more than just even just a, a sending away. It, like they were genuinely, the disciples were like genuinely upset that these families would, would, would have the gall, would be so selfish to now bring their kids to Jesus after he's had the day he's had with the religious leaders. And so they're admonishing these families. They're rebuking these families standing there with these kids waiting to see Jesus. Unfortunately, the disciples here even fell into this trap of not valuing what God values. I mean, these were just kids, they thought. They're just kids. Jesus has more important people to tend to. I mean, interestingly enough, this comes right after the disciples were were pulling Jesus aside to ask for more teaching and more clarification on what he had just taught, reflecting in marriage and divorce. And so it's interesting that that the disciples are okay with taking Jesus' time when it benefited them. But, but he sees kids, they see kids, and he doesn't have time for, for them. But look at Jesus' response in verse 14. It says, When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Right? So, so Jesus is sitting in this house. He's teaching, he's ministering to people, he's loving them, he's caring for them, possibly healing, performing miracles. So, so this is the typical life of, of Jesus, the day of Jesus. And, 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 and as I picture this, he's, he's all of a sudden looking out the window and he, he sees his disciples all of a sudden like just in the faces of these families with these kids sending them away. Maybe he sees these little kids standing next to their parents in fear because of how the disciples are treating them and talking to them and being so harsh with them. Maybe these little children most likely were told by their, their parents that day that, that we're going to go see Jesus today. Right, we're going to go see Jesus, a man who does these amazing miracles, a, a man who genuinely cares and loves people, a man who teaches these amazing things about who God is. And, and so there, there's this excitement probably brewing in these families. We go see this man that we've heard stories about, and he's here. And they're experiencing in that moment from Jesus' own disciples the complete opposite of everything they've probably heard about Jesus. You can see then why, why Jesus' response is, is he seeing what they're doing was indignation. In fact, key in on that word for just a second. Mark says that Jesus was indignant. And here's what's interesting. Uh, this, this passage here, Mark 10, 14, that's the only instance, it's the only instance in Jesus' ministry where it's recorded in any of the Gospels that Jesus was indignant towards something. And sure, Jesus got, got angry at the religious leaders, and he saw abuse uh, and mistreatment of people, so he, he would get righteously angry. But to be indignant means something a little different. The, the word is actually a combination of, of two words. It, it's a combination of the word much and a combination of the word to grieve. And so Mark is recording Jesus here as he's witnessing this, as his heart being much grieved. And you can tell a lot about a, a, a person's heart and a lot about a person's character by what grieves them. And Jesus' heart here in this moment was grieved much over the treatment of these, these children, these little ones who had come to see him. And they were being hindered. They were being stopped. They were being rejected from coming to him. I mean, just again, think of the weightiness of that. Like his disciples were hindering these little ones from coming and being in the presence of Jesus. You can see why Jesus' heart here is grieved greatly. 
And so what do we learn about what Jesus values? Well, here's a, a first point to, to write down. We see very simply that Jesus loves and values children. Now, I know that's such a simple point. I know that's such a simple point, but it's profound. It's profound the more and more you really begin to meditate on the text, that Jesus loves and values children. All right, what's he say? Let the children come to me. All right, don't hinder them. Don't keep them from me. In a time and place and a culture of this, this time here that, that devalued children, Jesus was elevating them. In a, in a culture that had no time for children, Jesus says, I have plenty of time. Let them come to me. Right? The, the children don't need to sit in the back of the, the room. They don't need to be ignored. They can come bring them right up front. Bring them right up front, and I'll give them my full attention. Right? Jesus loves and values children. And a simple application point is so should we. So should we. These families in verse 13 were, were bringing their children to Jesus. What a, what a great simple point of application there. They, they loved their children so much that they wanted them to be near Jesus. Parents, how are you leading your children to Jesus? How are you leading your children to Jesus? In our day and age, we make one of two mistakes regarding children. We either, similar to maybe this culture here, a devaluing of them, or we look at them as nothing but this, this nuisance that's, that's in our way. They're, they're in our way of, of how we want to live our lives, and so we kind of devalue them. We do the bare minimum with them. Or the other mistake that we make is the complete opposite side of that coin, is we idolize them. We idolize them. We elevate these children, our children, to a position that they were actually never intended to hold. As parents, we need to guard against that. There's a fine line sometimes between our love for our children, which we should absolutely have, and our idolization of our children, where they take precedence in our lives over Christ. And so parents, how are you loving your children in such a way that is leading them to Jesus, to prioritize Jesus? Does your home value the worship and exaltation of Christ? Does it value the gathering of God's people regularly? Is God's word read and submitted to in your home? Do you pray with your children? Do you pray over your children? Are you teaching them what it, what it means? This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it truly means to follow Jesus. We, mean that, we think that's so important that we're, we're dedicating a whole Sunday seminar class that Trevor's teaching on what does it really mean to follow Jesus. Are we teaching our kids what that really looks like, what Jesus is after in a, in a, in a Christ follower? Danny Aiken exhorts us in this way. He says there's several ways that we can consistently and actively lead children to Christ. We can evangelize them with a gospel-saturated home. We can disciple them with a Bible-saturated home. We can pray with them in a prayer-saturated home. We can encourage them, bless them, and challenge them. We absolutely must model for them a Christ-intoxicated life, letting them see that living for Jesus is the natural and normal ebb and flow of life. How are you loving them and leading them to Jesus? Church family, how are you loving the children of our church to follow Jesus? As brothers and sisters in, in Christ, we are the family of God. And so though parents have the primary responsibility of discipling their children, we as the collective family of God serve one another by caring for the least of these. And so, so a simple point of application here for all of us here is, is, would you consider serving and modeling the love of Jesus for children in our own children's ministry here? It's not babysitting. 
Our volunteers meet together. They pray together. They pray over these children. They're seeking to come alongside parents to teach these children to love and savor Jesus above everything that they're going to experience and witness in this world. They're seeking by God's grace to lead them and bring them to Jesus. Church at the same time also believe that we need to be a voice in our culture and in our world against the abuse and the oppression of children, whether that's through abortion, through sex trafficking, through child poverty. And we praise God for the the recent movement that has been made to, to restrict abortion, but there's still much work to be done, much work to be done to care for families and the lives of the unborn. As we continue to care for families and children that, that are, are struggling today, listen to these statistics. Nearly 22% of the children in America live in poverty. Nearly one out of every four girls under the age of 18 has been sexually abused. I recently spoke with an individual who works for the, the Department of Child and Family Services here in Illinois, and they, they said that the need is so great for good and stable foster families that, that they oftentimes have children coming out of unsafe homes, are sleeping on cots in state offices because they just need a safe place to sleep and their home isn't safe. How can we serve the children of our community, the, 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 the children of our state, the children of our nation, the children of our church? There's, there's multiple ways, multiple ways. We partner with a ministry called The Forgotten Initiative that seeks to serve foster families here in our community. Uh, we partner with Pregnancy Resource Center that seeks to care for uh, women who are considering abortion even with deeper still, to care for, for women who have had abortions and now are struggling with the, the effects of that. There's, there's multiple ways in which we can love and serve and model the heart of Christ to, to love even the, the least of these. So how are we loving and leading children to Jesus? Scottish author and minister George MacDonald once said that he doubted a man's Christianity if children were never found playing around his door. Since Jesus was a lover of children and since his spirit dwells in us, we are very near the heart of Christ when we love children. And so we see Jesus loves and values children. The second thing we see in the text today is that we receive the kingdom of God like a child. We receive the kingdom of God like a child, Jesus says. See the last part of verse 14 into 15. So Jesus says, for, for to such... Speaking of children, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Hold, hold fast to some of those words in there. Truly I say to you. This is a true statement Jesus is about to say. If you do not receive the kingdom of God, if we're not receiving Christ like a child, you shall not enter it. See, Scripture affirms two things regarding children. Uh, they're, they're gifts given to us by a good God. And the second thing is what we'll, we'll dwell on a little bit more here is that they provide an illustration for how we enter the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in these, these couple verses. So, so just like we talked about last week, as, as marriage is a reflection or displays what the gospel looks like in, in Christ's love for the church, children display the heart attitude then that's necessary for entering the kingdom of God. And, and so what's, what, what's necessary then as we think through what Jesus is saying? What's, what does this mean to receive the kingdom like, like a child, right? Is it, is, it, is it a child's innocence, right? Is it, is it that a child's innocent? Well, we'll no. Uh, hang around children for more than a minute. Uh, you're going to see that they're not innocent. 
Uh, we could all get up right now and walk down the hallway here and do a, a field trip to our toddler, uh, our toddler nursery, and then we can come back in like five minutes, and we'd all sit here with a unified belief that children are not innocent, right? They're, they're sinners, just like you and me. No, no parent has ever sat their child down and taught them how to do wrong, right? We've never, I've never in my life had to sit my son down and say, all right, here's how you mistreat your sister, right? Like, make sure when she says that you got to go after her. Like, like, oh, and he's taking notes. Like, never had to do that. comes naturally. It's from the heart, right? What do we do as parents? We sit down and we, we teach them, here's how to do right. And, and that's for, and they're like, okay, what do I do? I say, sorry? What's that mean? Right? Like, that's not natural, but kids are just naturally not innocent. They're sinners just like you and me. So it's not in their innocence. Well, it's not, is it in their purity or in their kindness or their sweetness. No, it's not in any of those either because, again, hang around kids for more than a minute or two and that washes away. Kids are not pure. They're not purely kind. They're not sweet. They're selfish just like we are. So Jesus' statement here is interesting because it, with adults, like you look at an adult's life, like at least someone who seems like it has their life together and you're like, well, at least, at least it looks like adults kind of get, get their ship in order, right? Like they kind of they get things going. They get it straight away, right? Like they, they kind of understand what they're doing. It seems like at least adults have their lives in order. So why, why kids? Kids seem to be like a mess. They seem to be a mess. Kids are a mess a lot of times. So why does Jesus use the example of a child to best illustrate what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God? I love how Warren Wearsby says, he says, we tell children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells the adults to model themselves after the children, so what do we learn then from children about how then to receive the kingdom of God? What's Jesus calling us to? What is the correct posture? Well, like children, let me give you three little subpoints. Like children, we come to Jesus helpless yet hopeful. Helpless yet hopeful. Children enter into this world helpless. Right? They need the help of others to survive. Even older children, as they, they grow, they're, they're in need still of, of help from others. As, as independent and self-reliant as my, my kids think they are at, at 11 and 9, and, and they can do a lot of things on their own, which we're grateful for, but they would still not do well if we were not there taking care of them. So, so they, would, they would do okay in our home by themselves. So if mom and dad were out of the picture and they were on their own, they'd do okay for a little while. It'd be a short while, but they'd do okay for a little while. But as soon as food runs out, they don't have any way to replenish it. Uh, they would have no way to pay any utility bills, so eventually they'd be without power and heat and water. We can see how quickly things would begin to spiral in their lives, how it would not go well for them. Right? Our children, are, they're, they're helpless. They're, they're needy. Children approach their parents with, with empty hands in need. Children are not bringing anything to the table. Right? We, we as parents provide for them. They're not coming and giving anything. Right? So children approach their parents with empty hands and need. And this is how we come to Jesus. We understand our helplessness, our neediness. This idea that we have nothing to offer. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Children don't always understand everything. They don't always know even what they need. But, but little children still understand one thing well, that they need the help of another and, and they're, they're hopeful at the same time that they're going to receive what they need. My, my children, they, they know that they need food to survive, but as far as I know, my kids have never stayed up at night worrying or fearing that food would not be available for them in the morning. 
They, they've never thought to themselves, like, I need food. I, I, need to get out. I need to get to work. I need to get out. I need to start planting, and I need to start growing, and I need to start harvesting. I need, I need to start providing for myself so I can survive. They've, they've never thought that. Not once. They just knew and know and are hopeful that when they wake up in the morning, food's going to be there on the table for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. When we come to Jesus, we're recognizing our helplessness, but also with hope, he's going to provide. He, by his grace, our, we, we need his mercy. We need his forgiveness. And our first thought then should be glad acceptance of his provision, right? What he has provided, what he has given, not what we have brought to the table. He's given us grace that's sufficient. It's not what do I need. I, it's not what do I need to do to get to work, to earn this. It's we're helpless and hopeful. This is a heart of a child. So we receive Christ, helplessness, yet hopefulness. Like children, secondly, we come to Jesus trusting and dependent. We come to Jesus trusting and dependent. Very similar to the last point, we, we, we not only recognize our helplessness and, and, and needy state, but we also, like a child, must fully trust then in the giver of all good things. So, so think of it this way. If you've ever held a, a newborn child in your arms, an infant in your arms, they're not clinging to you at all. all right? They're fully resting in your arms as you're holding them. Right? And they are trusting, whether or not they don't realize they're trusting, but they're trusting in your ability and your strength to, to hold them up and not drop them. Now, as kids get older, we, we ask them as they get older and bigger and heavier, right? Okay, okay, hold on to us as I carry you. So, like, my daughter still asks me from time to time to pick her up. And usually, my very first response to Stella is, like, Stella, you're almost as tall as me, right? Um, but, but then, right, what's the daughter do, right? Kind of gives the eyes and the little begging look. And so, all right, let's pick her up. And so, but why you just, as I'm picking her up, like, hold on to me, right? Like, hold on, help me out, right? If, I, if I'm giving her a ride on my back and she begins to go limp, right? Like, Stella, Stella, you gotta, you gotta hold on to me tightly, right? At, at that age, we ask our kids to start helping out a bit in the process, but that's not the picture that we're seeing from what Jesus is saying. Again, we're not contributing anything to our salvation. It's not even that like God does most of the heavy lifting, but, but then asks us, okay, help me, help me out a little bit. Help me out a little bit, and we'll, we'll get us across the finish line. No, we're, we're to be like the infant, like the child, newborn child, resting fully, trusting completely in the arms of God the Father and in his strength and his power and his grace, his mercy. That's what upholds us. That's the heart attitude that we come to, to receive the kingdom as. Lastly, number three, like children, we come to Jesus seeking his affection and his blessing. We read in verse 16 that Jesus took the children and he, and he blessed them. You know, children long for their parents' affection. Like, children long for their parents' love. Like, they desire affirmation and approval of them. Uh, when they create something, they, wanna, they want mom, they want dad to see it. Look what I did. And then they, they don't want you just to look at them. Okay. They, they want, like, feedback. Tell me it's good. Right? They, they're seeking affirmation. They want, they want you to be proud of them and what they've accomplished, what they've done. At school concerts and plays, when children even come up here on, on, on stage around holidays to sing, to sing. Uh, what, what's the first thing that, that kids usually do when they come up here, especially little kids, is they look around the crowd. Where's mom? Where's dad? Right? Where they're looking for them. And then when they, they lock eyes, you can see it on their face that they see mom, they see dad, and they're, they're waving. And the parents are waving back like there's a connection there. Kids love affection. They long for it. 
Like children, we should seek Jesus and his affection and blessing over our lives. Now, again, we don't earn God's favor and acceptance any more than our own child's actions aren't what determine our love for them. Of course, we can be displeased with our, with our kids and saddened when our children's lives fail to, to do what is right, but, but it never shakes our love for them. We, we still fall short of God's standard. We're still sinners, yet God's love and affection for us doesn't change based upon how good we did today or how poorly we did. His, the, the, the look on God's face when he views us, when he sees us, is one of approval and acceptance, not because you, you knocked it out of the park, but because we're in Christ and we're resting in his righteousness. And when God looks at his child, he sees the righteousness of Christ, which has covered us. We're held secure in him. And that's why, and that's the only why, it's the only reason why God's affection is, is, is so strong for us and never wavering. It's because of what Christ has done and who we are in him. But this is how we come to receive Jesus, receive the kings, how we enter it with seeking his affection, seeking his blessing, wanting to please him with our lives, living a life worthy of the gospel, that to which we believe and hold to. Right? There's safety in that truth. There's safety in that thought that we're loved unconditionally. This, this truth should stir our affections for Jesus. Who else would love us as deeply as Jesus has? As I close here this morning, there's, there's something to be learned from children. In fact, I believe we would, we would gain a much greater love for Christ by watching and observing the simple nature of children. I really do. The older we get, the more we complicate things, don't we? The older we get, the more we depend on ourselves and think, no, I'm sufficient. I've got this in order. Yet the simple faith of a child is remarkable and oftentimes closer to what Jesus requires. I truly believe the more we're around children, the more we serve and we're around them and we, we observe these things through the lens of Scripture, the more we see, okay, that's how I need to approach God. That's how I need to approach my Father, just with hopefulness and helplessness, with dependency, right? with seeking his affection. There's so much more we, we learn about who our God is and how we approach him, but the more we are engaging with children. It was Charles Spurgeon who once said, as only Spurgeon can say, I will say broadly that I have more confidence in the spiritual life of children that I have received into this church than I have in the spiritual condition of adults that's received. He says, I will go even further than that and say that I have usually found a clearer knowledge of the gospel and a warmer love to Christ in the child converts than in the man converts. I will even astonish you still more by saying that I have sometimes met with a deeper spiritual experience in children of 10 and 12 than I have in certain persons of 50 and 60. Have you come to Christ like this? Faith like a child. Do you recognize your helplessness, your neediness, your dependency? Is Jesus the object of your affection? Is he your hope, your delight, your joy, your salvation? Do you yearn for Christ's affection, his blessing? Not so that you earn his acceptance, but because we already have it, we want to please him. Just as a child knows they'll never lose a father's love, a mother's love, but yet they want to please their parents. So do we yearn for Christ's affection? Are you resting in his arms to sustain you, to heal you, to hold you, to save you? It's his grace, his grace alone. May God give us a renewed childlike dependence in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning uh, thanking you that you have loved us 
in spite of ourselves. Thanking you that, that, that we are, though we are nothing, though we, we say it like this sometimes often, that we, we really brought nothing to the table, really other than our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion. Really the only thing we bring to the table is the reason for, for why we have incurred the, the wrath of God on our lives. But yet you have been faithful, you have been gracious, you have been gentle, you have been long-suffering, you have been everything that, that a good father, a good parent should be. And so, God, I pray that we then, in our response to, to your character and your nature and who you are, would respond to your grace, respond to what you've invited us into, what you've called us into, what you've saved us into with, with, with the heart of a child, knowing we're helpless, yet at the same time hopeful, knowing that we're dependent upon you, but we are trusting in you longing and yearning then for your affection, for your blessing in our lives as we seek by your grace to make much of the gospel, to live lives worthy of the gospel. So God, we, we thank you that, that in the simple text here, you, you have shown us the heart of Christ. God, may, may even just getting a, a, even another snapshot of who Jesus is stir within us an affection for you, for your goodness, for your grace, and your love for sinful rebels such as us. May we go from here uh, uh, as parents, uh, looking for ways to better lead our children to love Jesus, to savor Jesus in our homes. May we as a church family here go from here, again, not just filling our minds with more information or a nice story that we just read, but, but ways in which, okay, how can I serve? How can I, how can I model the heart of Christ in, in the lives of the children that God's brought here? We have many children here that need godly men and women to, to invest in them, to pour into their lives, to come alongside mom and dad and to encourage and pray together. This is church community. And may as we do that, may you give us then a, a clear picture then of, of our response to you and how we are to receive the kingdom of God like the heart of a child. So God, may we, may we hold fast to you, may we cling to you. I think of just even that passage in Galatians, God, that we call to you and we can respond to you like, like a child crying out, Abba, Father. That we can call to you, we can, we can call to you and, and call you our daddy. God, the, the simplistic nature of that, but yet the beauty of that. So renew this childlike dependence in our lives as we then go and are sent from here to bring the gospel, this, this message of new life, of salvation, of eternal life, to a world that is very much opposed to it. God, help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.